Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Back From The Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power. You just didn't know that. And now you do. My podcast is a place for you to unhook from your overextended life, to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of your soul. And on this podcast, there's no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There's no outcome, only eternal unfolding. The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. What if we viewed our symptoms as saviors? Through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we can learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. Together, we'll learn to view our symptoms as saviors, as alerts from our bodies, minds, and spirits that want to let us know that we're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of our souls. From chaos comes clarity. Through working and integrating the concepts we'll explore together on this podcast, you will emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. I release new episodes of the podcast every Tuesday, so if you're a new listener, be sure to follow Back From The Borderline on your favorite podcast app so you never miss a new episode. As many of you know, I'm an obsessive reader, and... It's through reading the words of others who are processing their trauma 
and integrating all these different parts of themselves and moving through grief and through suffering that has helped me so much in my own recovery. And you'll also know that one of my favorite things to do is do some storytime vibes episodes. One of the most comforting things to me in the world is having someone read something to me, and so that's what I like to offer my listeners. And I don't choose to read entire pieces unless I find them profoundly meaningful and impactful. And what I'm going to be reading to you today is a piece written by Amanda Palmer on her Substack, and the piece itself is called What It Feels Like to Get Divorced and possibly remarried. Now, this article isn't just for anyone who's getting divorced and remarried. This article had me at my knees in tears. I myself have been divorced and am now recently remarried, so it hit me particularly hard. But this piece is also going to resonate deeply for anyone who is moving through grief who is having trouble processing losing someone important in their life, dealing with a breakup, or just struggling with recovery from trauma in general. I believe there's something in this piece for everyone. And before I begin reading it to you, I want to tell you a little bit about the author. Amanda Palmer is an American singer, songwriter, musician, and performance artist who is the lead vocalist, pianist, and lyricist of the duo The Dresden Dolls. She also performs as a solo artist, and she was a member of another duo called Evelyn Evelyn, and the lead singer and songwriter of Amanda Palmer and the Grand Theft Orchestra. She's gained a cult fan base throughout her career, and she was one of the very first musical artists to popularize the use of crowdfunding websites. Amanda now is also a New York Times bestselling author of the book The Art of Asking, a musician, mother, TED Talk speaker, and a fellow existential and emotional big feeling person, just like the listeners of my podcast. So without further ado, let's dig into this article by Amanda. Cuddle up, maybe strap on your shoes, go for a walk, do something relaxing while you're listening to this and just let it soak into your being. I can't reiterate how incredibly powerful this piece is. So let's dive in. This is what it feels like to get divorced and possibly remarried at TED 2023 by Amanda Palmer. I'm sitting in the airport in Seattle, waiting to take the red-eye flight back to New York from the week-long TED conference when I get the marriage proposal. An earnest one. I stare at the offer on the little phone screen. I feel a disorienting rush of blood to the brain and a cocktail of emotions, flattery, joy, Sympathy, anger. How could he do this to me? Why do I even have to feel these feelings? Must I answer? How did I get myself in this position? I'm tired. I managed to get only five or six hours of sleep a night at the conference. The night before this, I'd slept for three hours. I spent five full days at TED. And by the way, she's referencing every time she says TED, 
She's at like the TED Talk conference. I thought that's probably pretty important to mention. I spent five full days at TED, sitting in a semi-dark theater watching 80 speakers perform 80 TED Talks. And let's remember what a TED Talk is. It's not so much a talk as an intensely prepared piece of theatrical monologue with lights and makeup and hundreds of hours of preparation and rehearsal. It's a hard thing to do. I've done it. That was a long time ago. Now, I couldn't imagine having the time and headspace to prepare and deliver a TED Talk. Some days lately, I can barely get to the breakfast dishes. Some days lately... I feel like COVID and the pandemic fundamentally changed my capacity to do and to be. To do is to be. To be is to do. Do be, do be, do. I've been listening to my old Frank Sinatra records. This was my seventh, I think, time attending a week-long TED conference. The first was in 2013 when I delivered my TED talk, The Art of Asking which has since racked up close to 20 million views across platforms, thank you very much. And after that, I started making an annual pilgrimage back to Tedland to see other people deliver their talks. It takes place nowadays at the Vancouver Convention Center, where upward of 2,000 attendees spend a jam-packed week alternately watching TED Talks and bumbling around the convention center and their various nearby hotels, trying to socialize and network while attempting to digest an amount of information that is delivered from the stage to your brain. It's very intense. You've probably seen a TED Talk. This conference is where most of the TED Talks are filmed. Talks about genetics, talks about bats, birds, talks about racism, colorblindness, and affirmative action, talks about the advances in prosthetics, poverty, power and powerlessness, talks about AI, and more AI, and more AI, and talks about how to apologize to your children after you accidentally fucking yell at them. You know, TED Talks. This is where the sausage is made. I took a COVID test the day before departing to make sure I was negative before getting on a plane. I found myself wishing for two lines. No luck. I go. The theme of this year's TED conference was possibility. I roll my eyes. Oh, Ted, isn't that just everything? You might as well just call it that. This year's Ted theme, and every year's theme, is everything. I felt relentlessly exhausted since April 2020, one month into COVID and the month I first asked for a divorce. I've not been able to untangle which parts of this tiredness are pandemic, which parts are motherhood, which parts are divorce, and which parts are possibly due to having actually had covid which parts are due to -to back-to-back bouts of culture shock, I shifted countries twice, circumstantially, and which parts are owed to my entire extended family changing shape during the course of all of this. My family has grown, shrunk, warped, welcomed, raised, fizzled, fractured. The center has not held. The first town I inhabited with Ash, my seven-year-old son in New Zealand, we were COVID waylaid there from March 2020 until recently, was recently hit by a massive flood. Our little lockdown farm town on the North Island was devastated. The photos my old accidental Kiwi friends sent over, cars, homes, entire histories buried in meters of silt and sludge, 
feel emotionally familiar. They look like my life. Some things are salvageable. Some things are just going to live in that silt forever, donated to the earth. The family heirlooms, the handmade quilts, the children's books, the journals and cross-stitch of the great-grandmothers. Gone. My heart feels heavy in my body lately, as if it's put on 20 pounds, as if it's bloated, as if it's being consumed by some mysterious tumor that's triple its weight. I'm tired of carrying it around, but I have to if I want to get from place to place. I need it for breathing and living and stuff. I don't want to generalize, but I generalize all the time. My friend Michael told me the other day to be careful of that. You tend to speak in absolutes, he said, and it can be confusing. I'm trying to learn, I tell him meekly. It's funny because nothing feels absolute to me. Everything feels blurry, hazy, vague, broken. Wait, okay, maybe not everything. But maybe I'm allowed to say that. I'm a poet, goddammit. A musician, a writer. If somebody's allowed to speak in absolutes, isn't it us? I mean, we're the ones who brought you this is the way the world ends. Everything is awesome. It's the end of the world as we know it. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light, blah, blah, blah. That's us. That's our job. We'll explain. We got this. Everybody hurts. I have my own personal favorite lyric from one of my own songs. Everyone you love is going to die. But that one is true, I swear. That's not generalizing. Maybe the TED conference could tell me. I wrote a brief letter to my more than 10,000 patrons who, let's be honest, single-handedly provided me the ability to afford the trip to the conference in the first place. Committing myself to writing a thoughtful piece about what I learned at TED. This I promised myself and my patrons would give my attention some focus. It would be more fun, I figured, sitting in the dark TED theater, pen and notebook in hand, feeling like a reporter, trying to pull out some themes. Attending TED as a poet on a mission. My heart, my head, my poetry. It's been steeped in a dark vat of dye lately. Everything is divorce-colored. When I sit down to write, that's all I can write about. When songs are delivered to my head, they're divorce-shaped. I'm grieving, grieving a marriage, grieving a family, grieving a possible life. My songs reflect that, and when I'm songwriting, which is all the time, the information that sprinkles in from the outside world takes on the shape of whatever is inside of me. The TED Talks about prosthetic limbs seem to be about surviving divorce. The TED Talks about genetic mutations seem to be about divorce. The TED Talks about the murmurations of birds seem to be about divorce. You get the gist here. But I think I've managed to get past the first few stages of divorce grief. I'm done with the denial and anger and murking my way through bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I think TED simultaneously exacerbated my pain and sped up my grief. Like... I don't know, a friend accidentally dislocating your shoulder while trying to shake you awake as the flash flood is heading towards the house. Here are some things I learned at TED. You are free to fact check these TED speakers data. I'm too tired. I just work here. Every day, 
China now installs the equivalent of 600 football fields worth of solar power panels. Life on Earth started 4 billion years ago, but we forget that for 2.5 billion years, life was just unicellular organisms, just one cell. Wait, do we really forget, or do we just not spend much time thinking about this? This is a hockey stick moment for humanity. The growth of technology is now explosive and exponential. The robots are coming, and they may or may not save us. Bats pass down local dialects to their offspring. There's a panicked question at the moment about whether people are copyrightable. As John Cage already said many moons ago, silence is an illusion, sound is everywhere, and there is no such thing as quiet. I sit down for a catch-up one morning with a friend who's a psychologist. I tell her in detail what has happened to my life. Her jaw drops. Her eyes widen. Her jaw drops some more. I mention PTSD. She reminds me that the term post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD is being overused at the moment. The problem with a lot of us, Amanda, she says, is that we're not post anything. You're still in the thick of it. You have acute anxiety because none of these things are actually in the past. It's still happening to you. This is true and I find it strangely comforting. Post anything my ass. She has a good point. She cries. I cry. We go back into the dark theater. Fetal turtles make sounds from the womb. Little communicative baby turtle meeps to their pregnant turtle mothers that help the two find each other after the baby turtle is born on the beach and mom is hanging out in the water. The baby turtle uses these sounds to reunite as it wades back into the ocean to find mom. We use half of the earth's habitable land for farming. Beethoven was deaf ill, lonely, depressed, and suicidal when he wrote some of his most beautiful music. I take a break in the lobby over lunch and read the New York Times. Guns, guns, and more guns. I miss New Zealand, where people are not getting mass shot every day. It feels like we've simply lost the war. Has the war even started? Has the war started and we just aren't calling it that? The wrong driveway. The wrong fucking driveway. You turn into the wrong driveway in America and you get shot? It feels like we're all circling, afraid to park in any driveway. The guy who invented Duolingo gets up to speak and tells us how powerful and addictive the psychology of streaks is. I guiltily think about how addicted I am to my Wordle streak, even though nobody sees it ever. I think about my alcoholic relatives. I think about how fucking predictable and fallible and manipulatable we all are. I want to leave Ted, fly home, and hug Ash, my son. I want to arm him, not with guns, but with a nuclear-level bullshit detector. ChatGPT and AI will provide a personal tutor to every child with access to the internet. ChatGPT and AI are going to change modern warfare as we know it so quickly that we won't know what hit us. ChatGPT and AI will save the world. 
ChatGPT and AI will end the world. ChatGPT and AI will let you hang out with the digital dead forever. ChatGPT and AI mean you can have a long, thoughtful discourse with the fictional, tragic hero of The Great Gatsby. ChatGPT and AI are going to make the world a better place for everyone living in extreme poverty. ChatGPT and AI are going to render everything you've ever known and learned useless in your lifetime. I go to bed. I dream. The water is rising. I'm lost, circling, in the wrong driveway. The car is filling with silt. Ash is strapped in the back, and some old racist white dude is yelling at us from the porch, pointing his gun at our car. I freeze. I wake up drenched in sweat and go to another day of TED Talks. America fears change. America is crossing over into a majority, non-white society. People are dying of bullying. Confirmation bias is at an all-time high. America is heading toward a civil war. It's no longer about questioning authority. It's about questioning the algorithm. When two waves are exactly the same size and fit together, they resonate in perfect harmony. If two waves are the same size, but set exactly alternatively against one another, they cancel each other out. This is called interference. This is how noise-canceling headphones work, and this is the technology underlying the new light bulbs that will be powered wirelessly. Electrical cords will soon be a thing of the past, and they're going to put solar power stations up near the sun to power all electrical things on Earth. Maybe it'll solve the climate crisis. If two waves are the same size, but set exactly, alternately, against one another, they cancel each other out. I go to bed again. This night, I writhe in bed, unable to sleep. This is called interference. Constructive interference happens when two waves overlap in such a way that they combine to create a larger wave. Destructive interference happens when two waves overlap in such a way that they cancel each other out. This is how noise-canceling headphones work, and how cordless light bulbs will be powered, and why marriages will end. Constructive interference is marriage. What happens when two people work to support, embolden, and enlighten one another? Destructive interference is divorce. It happens when two waves overlap in such a way that they cancel each other out. I wake up twice, fall asleep twice, wake up, have a coffee, and go to more TED Talks. Penrose tiling, a form of architectural patterning that wasn't actually invented by Roger Penrose, he just kind of figured it out, points to an underlying unity, which is why old religions loved putting it on their churches. The first Bahamian man to set foot on the North Pole shares his conceptual artwork with us, including an encyclopedia of lost knowledge. Nadia from Pussy Riot, who I know from interviewing her on my podcast, takes the stage and delivers a personal message to Vladimir Putin, staring down the barrel of the TED television camera. You are afraid, she says to him, and you will lose. I think about speed. I think about cadence. I think about togetherness. I think about how much it hurt my heart to watch my Patreon members collapse during the pandemic 
because I couldn't support and listen to my community. I think about the thousands of unanswered messages from my own patrons whose money carried me through all of New Zealand, sitting unanswered in my inbox. I think about Ash and how it's all fine because everyone knows I was taking care of my kid. I watch the murmuration of birds flying in seemingly psychic synchronicity flash across the massive 100-foot screen behind the third TED speaker to riff on the goddamn murmuration of birds. Their perception is microscopic. They know because they pay attention. You are afraid, she says to him, and you will lose. But also, there's still hope, I want to say to him, and you could win. It's never too late to come to the table of love, truth, and connection. I imagine Putin coming as a surprise guest to the TED stage, tears in his eyes, walking down the center aisle to where Nadia from Pussy Riot stands in a long black dress and getting on his knees. I'm sorry, he says. I'm so, so sorry. I was afraid. I was lost. I will do better. I wonder if she'd forgive him. Standing ovation. Bats can hear shape. Plants can eat sun. Human beings are facing a crisis of belonging. A woman who is training to be a world-class violinist as a small child snaps a tendon as she's accepted as a student of Itzhak Perlman and thinks she's on her way to Carnegie Hall. Her future as a violinist dashed in an instant. A man who was headed to the top of the football profession went too far and broke himself. He trained himself to the point of exhaustion and his knee finally buckled underneath him during his NFL tryout. They both found soft closure after their tragedies. Their pain vaulted them into new and more meaningful territories of connection. They embraced their tragedies and turned them into giant learnings. They left their football and violin marriages, wounded and sad, learning to be comfortable with no fucking closure, and remarried other passions. The founder and CEO of a gazillion dollar company gets up and talks about his bipolar disorder and how he fucked up his whole family. He hit rock bottom, admitted he had serious mental health problems, and got to his knees. He told the truth and begged for forgiveness. It was terrifying. He had one little child. His wife stood by him even though he'd been actively abusive and violently assaulted both of them. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I was afraid. I was lost. I will do better. She forgave him. He shares his entire meds regimen. He gets a standing ovation. I wonder if I'll remarry. I never really wanted to get married in the first place. I remember that I'm still married because my divorce isn't inked and legal yet. It feels bananas. I want to go to bed and wake up and go to some more TED Talks. The metaverse is dead. Freedom and property rights are inseparable. We will live in a future of virtual consumer goods. Shareholder capitalism will win the day. I think about my patrons and whether they feel they have any ownership of me and my work. I've asked. They don't.
I wonder if I should give a TED talk about how our understanding of art and ownership is getting more and more toxic. I wonder what went wrong with the webcast I did the night before and why the link broke and wonder whether I'll ever be able to figure out how to use the internet or maybe I should just give up and travel house to house on a bicycle with a begging bowl for food, my child in a sidecar, and a sign around my neck that reads, have a piano? We'll play for food and lodging. I could then turn this experience into a TED talk and a best-selling book. I take a break from the session and sit in the lobby staring at the wall. Back in the airport, in some corner of the non-existent metaverse, the marriage proposal haunts me. He wants an answer. He wants an answer now. Like, right now. Who puts that kind of pressure on a person now? Is that love? I want to tell him yes and no. I want to tell him when two waves are exactly the same size and fit together, they resonate in perfect harmony. If two waves are the same size but set exactly alternately against one another, they cancel each other out. This is called interference. I want to tell him bats can hear shape, plants can eat sun. Human beings are, in fact, facing a crisis of belonging. A doctor who invented a revolutionary way of numbing pain takes the stage and talks about the opioid crisis. Dead people everywhere. Unnecessarily. She tells us that part of the problem is that we're obsessed with becoming pain-free instead of understanding that pain is a healthy signal coming from a healthy body and that experiencing pain is a necessary part of being human. She tells us that pain isn't a fire alarm crying for the numbing of pain. It's a learning system. Pain is our friend, a symphony of connections that we must embrace. I wonder if I'm going to have wine at dinner that night. I'm sad and tired and in pain. I probably will. I think again about all the alcoholics in my family. I return my attention to the talk. She tells us that vibration triggers the nerves that decrease pain. So does cold. I think about my newfound addiction to cold plunging, how it clarifies and makes the pain stop for at least the few moments I'm in the water. I'd rather be addicted to cold plunging than oxycodone. I figure there's a win. I'm in extreme pain, but I've managed not to become a drug addict. I am awesome. I settle into my seat and keep listening to the doctor. She says, studies have been done. Certain people actually feel more pain. She says, what you feel is mostly what you expect to feel. I want to hug her. I find her after the talk. I hug her. Then another doctor gets on the stage and shows a photo of some dirt in a faraway land. Ancient human ruins. We see dust and bone, a broken femur, healed. Look closely, she says. This is thousands of years old. This is a broken femur that is healed. Evidence that another person has taken time to sit with the fallen, has bound up the wound, has carried the person to safety, and has tended them through recovery. People do things for people. They always have. I think about Mr. Rogers. Look for the helpers. 
I look for my helpers. I write the quote down and text it to my friends Coco, Holly, and Sophie. They understand. Sophie sends pictures of the new Mexican desert she's currently traversing. I feel less alone. A gynecologist takes the stage and makes a plea for more accessible birth control. He talks about how many women can't get on the pill for one reason or another, and how impossible it can be for women in poorer areas to get access to IUDs and other forms of birth control. When women are given better access to more kinds of contraception, surprise, surprise, abortion rates and child poverty rates plummet. I'm grumpy with Ted for not proffering a talk about the state of abortion rights in America. Ted has always shied away from the topic, and it angers me. I wonder if I should give a TED Talk about abortion. I wonder if I should give a TED Talk about patronage. I wonder if I should give a TED Talk about making art and trauma. Spoiler alert, it's complicated. I wonder if I should go back to grad school and learn about bats and bees and orca whales and become a woman with long hair parted in the middle who can give a TED Talk calmly and solemnly about the sounds bats and bees and orcas make to tell stories to one another. Sitting in the airport, I wonder if I should accept the marriage proposal. I mean, why not? Everything changes, and changes back, and changes again, and the world is full of possibility. Ted taught me that. I remember once when I was about 20, my boyfriend proposed to me, a real proposal, an earnest one. He was a summer boyfriend. I was between my junior and senior years at Wesleyan. A musician, a stallion. He had incredibly long, beautiful hair. The sex was amazing. He said, marry me. I had dinner with my old mentor, Anthony, that night, and I tried it out on him, the concept. Why not? I said. What if? I said. Nobody in college gets married. People would flip out. I could go back to Wesleyan and shock and awe everybody in my dorm with the fact that I got married over the summer. They'd never believe it in a million years. I could get married. Why not get married? Beauty, he said. Please, for the love of Jesus. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Don't be fucking stupid. A woman who's a child psychologist takes the stage and talks about how ironically shameful it feels when she, the expert on children, yells at her own child. She wants to talk to us about repair. I immediately take a huge breath and try not to squirm in my seat. Here we go, I think. Here we go. Repair, she says, assumes there's been a rupture. 
you have to look at your entire life as an exercise in simply getting good at repair. That way, even when there's a rupture, a catastrophe, a meltdown, a cancellation, you're just doing the thing that you're getting good at, repairing. She talks about how children internalize and make the whole world about them. I have felt this so much with my son, Ash. He thinks he made everything happen. She talks about children who are raised in a world that douses them in shame. When a parent yells at a child, the child storms off to his room and blames himself. He thinks, I'm bad. He thinks, I am unlovable. He thinks, I make bad things happen. Yep, the tears come. The doctor says studies have been done. Certain people actually feel more pain. She says, what you feel is mostly what you expect to feel. I want to tell him, bats can hear shape. Plants can eat sun. Human beings are, in fact, facing a crisis of belonging. I want to tell him, everything changes and changes back and changes again. And the world is full of possibility. I want to tell him, yes. She says, when you repair something with your child, or with anyone for that matter, you are making safety. You are making connection. You are saying, I will not let this chapter of your life end in self-blame. I think about every lover and friend I've ever had. I will not let this chapter of your life end in self-blame. Saying this to another human, this is love in spoken form. A lovely looking guy with long hair comes on stage and talks about the science fiction fantasy novel he co-wrote with an AI bot and how he thinks it's better than a novel he would have written by himself. Then comes the man with the dazzling new technology demo. There's always one of these at TED Talks. He's showing us what may replace handheld smartphones, the new wearable tech. The phone is nearly invisible. The voice is everything. Where does the body end and the world begin? He asks. He speaks a phrase in English into the tiny button on his lapel, and it not only translates it into French on the spot, but it does so in his own voice with his cadence and his own lilt a simultaneous voice-into-voice -voice translator. So in a few years, this technology will hit the market and you'll be able to stand there without a phone and chat with someone in another language using your own AI voice. Language barriers will melt. Soon, I imagine, they'll be telling us that emotional misunderstandings will be a thing of the past thanks to ChatGPT and AI. Soon, I imagine, language barriers will solve the world's miscommunication problem. We will live pain-free. I feel confronted and sad and itchy and old. I want the mystery. I want foreign languages. I want hardback books. Just aesthetically and for reasons that have nothing to do with economics, I hate the euro. 
I miss the colorful currency of the French and Dutch paper bills. Why must everything change? I don't want everything to change. I want the mess and stumble of my own universe to stay still, locked, arrested. I miss records. I miss mixtapes. I feel terrified and irrelevant. I wonder if I'll be thinking about this moment in 10 years when I'm traveling in China, chatting with new friends using our little invisible apps in a noisy restaurant, sharing the emotional stories of our shared humanity. I wonder why my thinking is so limited. I wonder what I should do with my life. I want to take a nap. I need a snack. So I wander into the lobby and a CEO of a multinational corporation comes up to me and tells me he's a patron of mine and sees that my glasses are filthy. He gives me a small disposable cloth to clean my glasses with, looks at me with incredible tenderness and pity, and tells me that he feels like a father to me. I start crying, hug and thank him, and glumly head toward the snacks, pausing for a moment on my journey to, like the addict, attempt the day's wordle puzzle which I fail to solve because I'm childish and deliberately suggest words that I know the New York Times will never use, even though they are real. I'm annoyed at my own stupid stubbornness. At the snack table, I coincidentally meet another of my patrons, who's a successful business coach from Australia. I tell her how every time I come to TED, I realize what a terrible business person I am. I run a multi-million dollar business every year, from the seat of my pants and off the cuff, and I feel like it leaks money and possibility every year. She nods. I continue because mostly what I want to do is make art, raise my kid, and not run a business. I'm also too stubborn to let anybody else run it because I despise being told what to do. It's not too bad, actually. I'm fine with being a good artist and a mediocre business person. She nods again. We both agree that someday it may change, and we laugh, and I have a fucking snack, and I feel better about everything. We go back into the theater. An Irish economist comes on stage and recites Yeats. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. He reminds us of the year this was written. Hitler was just on the ascendancy. Nobody believed that another war was actually coming. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. The economist poo-pooed the notion that the last war, the great war, the war to end all wars, could possibly be repeated. The poets had a different take. The poets felt it coming. The poets said, surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The most repeated catchword of the conference is guardrails. We need guardrails, says the AI expert. We need guardrails, says the climate scientist. We need guardrails says the economist. We need guardrails, says the CEO of TikTok. What does the poet say? We do not need guardrails, says the poet. 
says this poet at least, we do not need guardrails. We need to build entirely different roads. I arrive two hours early for my flight back to New York. I plonk down in the first available chair at the gate and a fellow plonks down next to me. He's with three friends who are all sitting in the row across from him. They're all joking with one another in French. I feel their pleasant camaraderie and wonder who they are, what they're up to, and where they're going. Nigerian? Congolese? I'm trying to remember which countries in Africa are the French-speaking ones. He makes contact with me. Bonjour, I say, pleased with my impressive school French accent. He barely speaks English, but now he wants to talk. I try to converse with him in my terrible French, but I feel miserably after a few attempts. He repeats himself. Pardon, I say. Je suis désolé, mon français est très mauvais. He repeats himself. I say, pardon? He pulls out his phone and brings up his Google Translate app. He speaks into his phone. The app translates his voice to text and he shows me the screen. Where are you from? Where are you going? The screen asks me. He then points to the phone and to the record button indicate he wants me to answer in English and the phone will translate. I'm from New York and I'm going home, I say into the phone. Where are you from? The screen thinks for a minute and my reply magically arrives. Je viens de New York et je rentre chez moi. D'où viens tu? Dear Lord, my French answer looks so sophisticated. He speaks into the phone and presses the translate button. He shows me the screen. He's from Africa, from Chad. For 10 minutes, we communicate this way. I learn that he's getting his American green card and that he's living in Brooklyn and that he's been in Seattle visiting other friends from Chad. He learns that I'm living not in New York City, but upstate, inside of the trees. The app says that. I didn't. And I like it, so I don't correct it. And that I love New York City. I say it's the best city in the world. New York est la meilleure ville du monde. He reads that one and laughs and smiles and leans forward to show the phone to his friends. They all smile at me. We're all getting along famously. He's never heard of TED Talks or the TED Conference. I tell him about what I've learned at TED. I ask him what I hope are delightful questions. I want to just pause here. This is a side note from me, Molly, and I just apologize for my horrific French. Continuing on. He did not know that parent bats pass down local dialects to their children. He tells me that I'm very beautiful. The conversation takes a turn into the slightly uncomfortable. Oh no. Merci. I tell him I'm very flattered and thank you for such a kind compliment. He asks me to marry him. Then he's staring at me, expectantly. He looks very serious. He wants an answer. A part of me, an infinitesimally tiny part of me, wants to say yes. I feel 20 again and filled with hopeful stupidity. Why not, I think. What if, I think. Nobody goes to the airport and decides to get married to some random guy they just met at the gate. People would flip out. I could go back to Woodstock and shock and awe everybody in the town with the fact that I got married to the guy I met at the airport. They'd never believe it in a million years. Maybe this was the moment I needed in my life. What was the theme of this year's TED conference? Possibility. I think about our potential life together. 
me and my husband from Chad. Would he move upstate? Would we live in the city? Would I meet his family from Chad? Would they like me? Would Ash dig him as a step-parent? I mean, we are clearly very different. I mean, beyond the obvious language barrier, there's quite a chasm. But for fuck's sake, the chasm between my last husband and me may even be vaster. These metrics are weird. Who's to say? We do not need guardrails. We need to build entirely different roads. Maybe my road leads to Chad. My brain, this brain, this poet brain that entertains every possibility. This brain has gotten me into a lot of trouble. After 10 years of constant miscommunication with my ex-husband, I developed a new and constant refrain. I want to make sure you know that what I am about to say is an idea, a delightful fantasy. I like fantasizing aloud. This does not mean the fantasy is a plan. This is not a plan, got it? An idea, not a plan, not a plan, an idea. An idea, not a plan. He holds up the phone. I take a deep breath and he presses record. I tell him, well, I tell Google Translate that I'm very flattered by the kind offer, but I'm sorry, I'm already married, which is not really a lie. I wonder why I need to share my marital status even though it feels really, well, like a lie. He looks at me sadly, then he turns his head away. I smile sadly and turn my head away. We sit there in awkward silence for a few minutes. I refuse to change seats. That would be wrong. He looks away. I look away. I play Wordle on my phone. I don't want to break my streak. His friends slow their conversation down to a respectful hush. We sit there in this stalemate for a few more minutes. Then he speaks, a final time, into his phone in French, and shows me the screen. I look into his eyes and then into his phone. I'm still thinking of you, the screen says. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. I want to tell him bats can hear shape, plants can eat sun, Human beings are, in fact, facing a crisis of belonging. I smile at him. I shake my head. I want this flight to board. I finished my wordle puzzle of the day. Unzip, go figure. The flight departure is now a half hour late. A woman flicks on the loudspeaker and announces that the plane is having technical difficulties. We need to go to a new plane, which is waiting at a new gate in a different terminal. She gives us directions. Two trains. It's 11.30 p.m. I grab my backpack and my ukulele, scuttle away from my future not-husband because I'm terrified that we'll wind up sitting into the new gate in an awkward tandem, and head to D5 with a herd of 200 disgruntled fellow passengers. At the top of an escalator about five minutes into my journey, the new gate, someone calls my name. Amanda! I turn around, there's a man. As if this night could get any weirder. Hi. I'm Noel, he says. I saw you across the hall and I chased you down. I hope you don't think I'm weird. I'm one of your patrons. Oh my god, Noel, no, no, I don't think you're weird. I just dealt with a marriage proposal delivered to me via Google Translate. I've been following everything you've been going through. I'm sorry, this is awkward, but your music means a lot to me. 
I want to thank you for everything you've been doing, even with all you've been going through. I say, you cannot imagine what that means to me, Noel, that you happen to tell me that in this particular moment. I drop my bags and I take Noel into my arms. He doesn't seem to mind. I'm crying. Repair, she says, assumes there's been a rupture. She says, what you feel is mostly what you expect to feel. Bats can hear shape. Plants can eat sun. I will not let this chapter of your life end in self-blame. Human beings are, in fact, facing a crisis of belonging. There's still hope, and you could win. Surely, surely, surely some revelation is at hand. I'm still thinking of you. This article hit me really, really hard. And one of the things that I took away from it was the focus on repair. How in this week can you take that message into your own life? Reflecting on how being a human being is being in a constant state of breaking and repairing and breaking and repairing and understanding that the people around you are doing the same thing. Everyone's going through a lot right now. The world is changing so fast. We're constantly barraged by so much information. And I love taking a pause to read things like this by profoundly talented authors like Amanda. It's difficult to put some of these huge existential feelings into words. And she did it so beautifully with this article. And if you were moved by what I shared here, I highly recommend that you support Amanda and her work. I'll be linking the article as well as her substack in the episode description today. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time for our stupid walk for our stupid mental health. Let's go. What's up, everyone? We're on our stupid walk for our stupid mental health, me and Cody. Today, I want to talk about listening. And I think I want to talk about listening in a way that you may not expect. I'm not talking about listening to other people. I'm talking about listening to the signs. And we've talked a lot about creating moments of silence in your life. But what I haven't really touched on is creating moments to listen and look out for what the universe is showing you. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of synchronicities but I'm big into Jungian psychology I really love the work of Carl Jung the Swiss psychologist and mystical writer and the idea of synchronicities are essentially if you look out for things 
the universe is always kind of showing you signs and presenting you with opportunities to learn and move you forward in your journey only if you're looking out for it. Because the thing about being someone who struggles with emotion dysregulation is that most of us spend so much time activated and stressed out and jumping from thing to thing to thing, filling our brains with content and distractions that we can't even see the signs when they're in front of us. And I'm telling you, I'm going to get a little like mystical on you for a minute. I don't typically do this on the main podcast, but I'm doing it here with my premium submarines because I know you all understand this. There have been some really unexplainable synchronicities in my life in the last few years and you don't believe in it until you've experienced it yourself so only you know if you actually really think about it think about the last time that you saw something or that you had just been thinking about or you experienced a moment where you're like you know in your heart of hearts that it was not a coincidence, right? We shoo synchronicities off a lot because we think, oh, that was just a coincidence. There's no, there's no way that that has any meaning. I'm going to give you an example. So my grandmother was really, really important to me. I'm going to try to get through this <laughs> without crying. All right, everyone, that's it for this week's preview of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health spoiler alert i did not get through the rest of the episode without crying so if you'd like to hear the full episode of back from the borderline you're going to need to sign up to become a premium submarine and you can do that through the link in the episode description So go ahead and sign up if you'd like to unlock this full episode as well as 110 plus hours of bonus content. And as soon as you sign up to become a premium submarine on Patreon, you will see a pinned post at the top of the page that will give you a nice organized breakdown of how to navigate all of the bonus content available to you as well as how to add your new super secret private RSS feed to your favorite podcast player. So once you're a premium submarine, you will receive full length episodes of Back from the Borderline every week. You'll also receive my monthly Sonar System newsletter, which I send out, and that includes tons of resources, books, podcast episodes that I find along my own recovery journey. And you also have the ability to interact with other patrons, big existential feelers like you in the comments. And don't forget that also by becoming a premium submarine, you are supporting the work that I'm doing here. This is a completely listener supported podcast and It's just a little old me doing this, and I've recently resigned from my full-time job to do this full-time. So if you would like to support the work I'm doing, if you like the fact that the podcast is ad-free, then please consider becoming a patron and supporting my work, because that is how I support myself. 
On the rest of this full episode, I obviously continue my reflections on synchronicities and how we can explore them in our own life. And then in the back half of this full-length episode, I take a few premium submarine voicemails and emails. We talk about how to handle it when people shit on our dreams. And I also explore the concept of pathological demand avoidance or PDA in diagnoses like autism and ADHD. And then at the end, I share a little bit about my reflections on how it can feel really overwhelming to just be flooded by all these different mental health abbreviations and how to seek balance and find the strengths in our own unique neurodiversity and how this can help us in our recovery. So if that sounds interesting to you, go ahead and click the link in my bio to learn how to become a premium submarine today. But if you choose not to do that, I love you anyway, and you can support the podcast in other ways. For example, you can join the community on Instagram at backfromtheborderline.com follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app to make sure you get notifications every time I drop a new episode on Tuesdays and you can share, share this episode with someone that you think it might help and resonate with. That is how this podcast has grown to be in the top 1% of Spotify and Apple podcasts, not through me dropping marketing money. I've not dropped a single cent on promoting this podcast It is purely supported by evergreen growth and the sharing of amazing listeners like you. So thank you for doing that. And I also just want to thank you for choosing to be here with me today. There's so much content out there and you could be listening to anything, but you chose to listen to me and that means a lot. So I hope you can accept this big, huge virtual hug from your parasocial big sister, Molly. And I can't wait to see you right back here next Tuesday. And remember, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.